our budget here is very loose and I try and reward our speakers and uh, I spend more than what is normally allotted for this class. So we've had some very generous gifts. I'm grateful. It will allow us to continue to get speakers and teachers that help us understand God's word better. Let me also say Happy New Year to everybody. So good to see you all back and healthy and, and well, and I look forward to 2016 as we move forward with the Westminster class. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we gather together again and praise you, and it's right to give our thanks and our praise, for you are good and gracious in all you do for us. It's been a busy season, Father, and I think about the gifts that we opened and went through, and now we clean up and put away. Your son was a gift, and I just pray that we don't try to put him in a box, put him in our stuff, and go on about our ways and our life. Help us understand that the gift is a relationship. psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, and I think about the wise men and the shepherds who came, saw the baby, and stood before and said, Lord, and praised, and they walked away and went back to their world, and I wonder what happened to them. You warn us that some will cry, Lord, and it won't be sincere. It won't be heard. It won't be real. Help us not say, the Lord is my shepherd, and seek that powerful leader that Israel looked for. But help us say, the shepherd is my Lord. Help us to know you as the shepherd day and day as we muddle out in the world like the sheep. Remind us that you keep us from being lost. We are your children. We are your sons and daughters. Adoption. But not an adoption from a parent that isn't known. Adoption by a father that we can know. And that's why we're here today. To know you better. To know who it is that adopts us. For the purpose of redemption that we might sing, I am redeemed. The true meaning of Christmas. Redemption. Through a father, through a gift, who is our shepherd. We ask your blessing today to John as he teaches. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Come on in, you're not late. So uh, I'm not going to say the thing that you think I'm going to say, which is what? That's right. <laughs> You've heard that enough. Um, I know everybody from Ohio and Michigan are simultaneously happy today for the first time in many years. So we've brought unity to the church through sports and... Okay, good morning, my friends. This is our topic for today. Uh, I wonder, does everyone have one of these uh, handouts? Uh, this kind of shows us the, is this the only one that's left? Okay. Well, this kind of shows us the flow, and I wanted to start this morning when we start talking about God. This is a course on the nature and essence of God. And we've already studied God is spirit and God is agape. And today we're going to be going to 1 John chapter 1 and we're going to study God is light. These are declarative statements that are made in the scriptures that are telling us something about the person or the being or the entity that is God. God is these things, and today God is light. You can see the Greek word on the board that comes from that, uh, phos, phos. Can you hear an English word in that? 
Uh, what? Phosphate. Phosphate. Uh, phosphorus. Boom. Light, right? So that's where we... Fireworks, yeah. So when the Bible says God is light, obviously it's using a metaphor, and we're going to drill into that uh, by looking at 1 John 1, 5, 5 through 2, 2. We're going to make observations on this text. And I want you to help me today. I'm going to ask you to actually look at the Bible and actually speak. Now, this class usually does pretty good at that, so... Uh, I'm counting on you today to help me, and we're going to go through the text together, but you do need a Bible. Uh, then we have a great illustration, I think, uh, to help us understand the tension that exists, uh, both in our minds, I don't think inside of God, because God doesn't have any tension, but when we look at God, a God who is absolutely love and holiness simultaneously, it does create some theological tensions. Judge Haas, you brought this up a couple weeks ago uh, when we were trying to reconcile uh, God's nature and so today we really want to look at that we want to drill into it and get to the core of it and then I want to end by talking about present day light uh, what is the New Testament what's the essence of the New Testament in terms of how we would experience God as light in this present day this present time and specifically how the world is going to experience God as light uh, through those who know God so Let's get started, but actually, I want to ask you uh, about the review first, and then we'll get started. Does anyone have any questions or comments that they would like to make about what we've studied so far? Things that uh, are lingering, things that you want to talk about? God is spirit. God is love. Any questions, comments, things that you've been thinking about? It's okay if you don't, but okay, well, great. I just thought I'd give you that chance. All right, let's try uh, finding 1 John 1, 5, and let's see what we can learn. And this is a very simple way of studying the Bible. We're going to make observations. We're going to find out everything this text tells us about God, and then we're going to find out everything that this text tells us about us as humans. And when we get done, we're going to kind of see what the, uh, I guess, the tension point would be. So let's start with the first verse, and I, I'm going to go through it verse by verse, and that'll make it easier instead of reading it all at once, and then we'll just go right through it, okay? So first one, this then is the message that we have heard of God and declare to you that God is light, and in God is no darkness at all. Pretty simple. What's the first observation? What's it tell you about God? God is light. Okay, this is the classic text in the New Testament that flat out tells us that God is light. Then he qualifies it a little bit, and we need to uh, look at that. So God is light, and then he makes sure to understand that. Thus, what else? No darkness. So obviously we're in the realm of uh, metaphor here. So God is light. Does anyone know uh, the attribute theologically that that's referring to? When we say God is light, there's other attributes that we would uh, attribute to God that are corollaries of this. God. Uh, yes. Um, In terms of being like veridical, actually being correct, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, God uh, illuminates uh, and dispels, of course, darkness. Uh, how about uh, things that we say in church all the time in the creeds and in the hymns? We uh, sing a, a, a song that's got. Uh, ah! Yes! Holy, holy, holy. Yes, holy. What does holy mean? It's completely and entirely whole without any moral defect. Absolutely perfect. And there's only one entity in the whole cosmos that that can be said of, and that is God. God is absolutely without defect of any sort. And so, of course... The metaphor, and, and then out of this 
holiness comes another attribute, which will come quickly into your mind if you look at that robe on the desk there. What's another attribute that flows out of the holiness of God? Yes, that is a judge's robe. Yes! Justice. What's justice? Okay, there's some form of fairness and equality attached to justice. No bias. Justice. Ah, you jumped. When the Bible says God is love, think of the corollaries that flow out of that now that we ascribe to God. What did you say, mercy? Merciful. Um... Yes, a, um, a, a lack of superiority, a true concern for the other person. I, I always think of Micah 5.8. You think of what? Micah 5. Oh, Micah 5.8. God requires us to walk with our God humbly and with mercy. Thank you. Very good. And justice. Love justice. Justice. Mercy. Forgiveness. Forgiveness would come out of this. What else? Um, goodness. Uh, yeah, goodness, doing g- good for a person. How about pity? Pity is a much neglected um, attribute. Um, like compassion. compassion. You know, I think, I, I want to talk about pity for a second because um, we've lost the meaning of it. Pity is a negative word today. I pity you. Uh, it's not really what the essence of it is. Now, the best way I can explain it is um, the Lord of the Rings. Any fans here? No fans of the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> okay. Gandalf and Frodo are in the cave. They see Gollum following, and Frodo says, it was a pity that Bilbo didn't kill him when he had a chance. And Gandalf says, pity? Why, it was pity that stayed his hand. Many live that do not deserve to live, and many die that deserve to live. Can you give them life? If you can't give them life, then don't be so hasty to take it away. That's a rough paraphrase of Gandalf. Get the movie and you'll see it in its full passion. So he then tells Frodo, no, it was pity that caused Bilbo not to kill him, and that in the end, Bilbo's pity will rule the day. Well, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but what happens? He doesn't kill Schmeagol or Gollum, and in the end, Gollum winds up being what? Watch the movies. Read the. B- what happens? How, how, how does pity in the end rule the day? He's the one that throws the ring away eventually, gets rid of it. He didn't mean to do it, but it was Bilbo's pity that allowed him to continue to live even though he was wicked. And later on, when Frodo sees him and sees how bad spiritually he is, he says, now, looking at him now, I do pity him. And the reason that Frodo came to that state of consciousness was because he was also being corrupted by the ring, and he knew what Schmeagol Gollum had gone through, and he knew it was happening to him, and suddenly when he started realizing how bad off he was, he began to see Gollum not as some pathetic wasted creature, but as somebody that should actually be pitied, meaning when you pity somebody, you don't look down on them, you, you, yes, you, you have compassion, you have sympathy, you have empathy, you care about them. 
So all of these things flow out of the love of God, mercy, compassion, pity. But over here, on this side, we get what? The iron rod of justice. God is, what does he say about God? God is light, and in him there is no darkness. So, the God that we are revealed, have revealed to us in the scripture, is unique, distinct. There's nobody else in the whole cosmos that's like God. No one can, of this can be said that God is uh, absolutely perfect. Okay, let's keep going. What's the next one? Now, this is talking to Christians. If we say that we have koinonia or fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Okay, so what does that tell us about either God or humans? Us. The humans have a tendency to be double-minded. God, being perfect, is never double-minded. God never makes mistakes. God never variates, variates off of the perfect nature that God possesses. But humans, being what we are, we do. So he says that a human can do what? Can say, I walk with God, I have fellowship with God, I have a relationship with God, but they can actually walk in the darkness, meaning they wouldn't be living compatibly or in harmony with the nature of God and when that happens, when a human f finds themselves in that condition then he says, what? If you're saying that you're walking with God and you're not then it's obvious, what? You're lying. Now, <laughs> just remember the, God, the tension of the thing comes from when the magnitude of the nature of God begins to dawn on us. Okay, so this passage is applicable to all of us in many ways. Next verse, more positive. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What can you learn about God, and what can you learn about humans? Okay, God is uh, forgiving. Does he uh, uh, tell us what God does to uh, forgive us? Okay, so I'm just going to put blood, and you have studied with so many great teachers and with me, uh, not that I'm a great teacher, but I mean, <laughs> you've had this many explained to you many times. Blood equals what? Life. So it is the life of Jesus that cleanses us, his actual presence and his work on the cross that cleanses us from sin. So he says that a human being can walk in darkness by denying their sin, saying, I don't have any sin. Uh, but he then says, well, if we walk in the light, we have a relationship with God. So to have a relationship with God that's full, the way God wants it to be, it's obvious. What's the conclusion just from these verses? A human must do what? Well, we'll get to that eventually, but right now in this text, he says, what do you have to do? You have to walk in the light. So walking in the New Testament is always a metaphor for our lifestyle. So he's talking about not absolute perfection, but he's talking about walking in the nature of God and trying to yield ourselves to God as God is and live harmoniously with God as God gives us the grace to do that, as opposed to what you can also do. Yes, I believe in God, but... I'm going to walk in darkness, and to, to the degree that that happens in anybody's life, then there's a little breach. There's a lack of congruity. There's a lack of fellowship. Now, <clears throat> verse 8. If we, or anyone, says, <laughs> well, I have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, humans, <clears throat> we can walk in the light we can walk in darkness while we say that we have a relationship with God another thing that humans can say is what why are you talking to me about sin 
Yeah, well, yes, humans can claim to be without sin. And, and humans frequently do. And when he says when a human cl- claims to be without sin, what's going on there? What are, you, what are we doing? We're, we're deceiving. You're deceiving yourself. I'm deceiving myself. Because only God is absolutely perfect, and humans are not. So humans have sin mingled and commingled and attached to their lives in many different ways. And uh, so one thing that we can't say if we want to have a relationship with the God of light is to say, well, I don't have any sin. No, we're kidding ourselves. Next one. Now, Dr. Smith, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, God and humans. What can humans do? Okay, now, this word, I want to break it down for you so you really understand it. Homo lego or homo legao. You can see in the Eng- from English, homo, we use for same. Lego means to speak. So the Greek word for confession means to say the same thing. So when he says, if you confess your sins, let's read it the way that the, the language really carries in the Greek. If you... say the same thing about what you did as what? The same thing as what? Yes, that God says. If you, in other words, agree with God, yes, I look at this, what I did, and I agree that it's wrong. Now, that's a much deeper level of confession than confession of yeah, I did it. I'm a, a grudging admittance, admittance. I got caught. Of course I did it. That's not what he means. He means to actually look at it, what you did, and agree with God and say the same thing that God would say about it and have a corresponding, if you, if you actually see it the way God does and feel about it the way God does, then you're going to have a corresponding reaction inside of you. You're going to look at I'm going to look at my sin and say, what about it? I need to be forgiven. I need this to be cleansed. So, if we say the same thing about the sins that are manifest in our lives, what does he say God does? He he forgives us and he purifies us In other words, he removes that from our lives. So presumably then, once the offending uh, sin is removed, covered, cleansed, then this thing can happen that John keeps talking about. What can happen? Once we agree with God about our sins, something can happen. Yes, we're forgiven, but there's something else. We can... um, We're walking... It is actually the confession of our sins that is walking in the light. Did you see the corollary? Verse 7, if we walk in the light, what is walking in the light? Walking in the light is as your sins get revealed to you, you say what? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Mea culpa. But you look at them and you say, yes, that, yes, that's not compatible with God. So I need to confess and agree and say to God the same thing that God says about that and when I do God cleanses me and then from at that point then I'm now doing what walking in the light and if we walk in the light John says what is true verse 7 we have fellowship koinonia something in common both with God and with each other as we walk together in the light Okay, let's keep going. Next one. Uh, If we say, this is even a stronger claim than the person in verse 8. Verse 10 says, if we say, if anyone says, 
we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and God's word is not in us. So this is another claim. You can say, well, I don't have any sin. You could claim to be sinless. Or you could claim... What's, what's this claim in verse 10? I have not sinned. I've never sinned. I, I, I. And when you say that, John says the implication of your position is what? You're in effect calling God a liar because God's light, God's nature has been revealed to us. God's uh, holiness has been revealed to us. And it's quite clear as we look at our lives in light of God's holiness that we have sinned. To deny that to say I've never sinned is to actually throw the entire revelation in the trash can and say and by the way is this happening in our world is this happening in our uh, in our country uh, the notion of the holiness of God is rapidly I think being dismissed so um, human beings have all of these different responses that we have to darkness and uh, we can deny it, we can confess it, we can say we've never done it. God is pictured as the God of light who has to do something about our sin. Why? Why does God have to? Because he can't be in the presence of darkness. He, he is a perfect being. We can't stand. We have to go all the way to his light for him to exist. Yes, to, to have to have what the New Testament calls fellowship, congruity, oneness. Whatever it is that's blocking that uh, fellowship has to be removed. And of course, and the, the reason that is, is because of God's nature. God is so absolutely perfect that these offending things get in the way. So God has to do something about that. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 2 and you'll see what God did. My little children, I write these things to you so that you do not sin. That's a nice, uh, that's a great New Year's uh, resolution. <laughs> Anyone want to take it with me? <laughs> I know, we should have had this class on the first day. We could have resolved to this year, no sin. And, all right, this is the heart of a Christian leader and apostle a spokesperson for Jesus Christ. God's intentionality, heart, desire, and wish for all of us is, my children, I wish that, that you would not sin. I wish you would just walk in fellowship with God. That's a nice aspiration. Now, being also a human, also illuminated by the Holy Spirit, he adds a little qualifier on there. What's the next part of the verse? However... <laughs> If anyone, see how sweet and nice he is. However, if you ever happen to just, if you ever happen to sin. Now, he's being nice to us, but he's being truthful. Uh, we will sin. That's what he means. Now, there's the notion in the New Testament of being set free from sin, and there's also the notion in the New Testament that you're never actually going to get set free completely from sin until you leave this life. So it's that perpetual tension of God calling us to be like God, holy, and also struggling with the sinfulness that's inside of us. So, my little children, I write these things to you so that you don't sin. However, if anyone does sin, then he gives us the good news. Uh, hold on. We have an advocate... Hear the legal language there? We have an, oh, is that what your translation reads? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's telling the Christian here, look, God's called you to be like God. God's called you to be holy. Here's the things that you don't want to do. You don't want to deny that you've sinned. You don't want to deny that you have no sin. You don't want to walk in darkness. What do you want to do? 
If you want to have a relationship with God, you want to walk in the light because God is light. However, I need to tell you this little secret. You try to walk in the light, please try, give your life completely to Christ, give everything over, but there's only one entity in being in the whole universe that is perfectly holy, and that is God. You will sin, so then he gives you the solution for when you do sin. What's your solution? We, well, confess, but the ultimate solution, it's, that's a secondary response to what God did for us. Our confession is a secondary response. What did God do for us to deal with this gap between God's holiness and us? He appointed Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. And we studied this last week, and I'll just illustrate it again so that when he gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, God, as it were, dealt with sin. And now then says to us, this one is your living advocate. He can do what for you? What does an advocate do? Has anybody ever needed a lawyer? I had to go to court for, um, yeah, I made a mistake uh, and didn't respond to the um, voting requirements. Uh, you know, I had to register for, and I had to call in every night. This is like five or six years ago. Do you have every, jury duty. And, I, you know, I called in, called in, and I missed one night. Got home to it, missed it. Called first thing in the morning. I said, well, it's too late now. And uh, next thing you know, I got summoned to court. So I called one of my lawyers. I had to go to appear before a judge <laughs> for dereliction of civil duty. <laughs> and so then I, got, I go and get my lawyer. I had called my lawyer because I said, hey, what am I going to do about this? He said, well, I'll come. So what did I do? I stood there in front of the judge, and the lawyer did all of the talking and blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, I got pronounced guilty with consideration and think I had to pay a fine? I think so. My advocate did what for me? Not much. <laughs> 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 well, I'll tell you, I felt real good about just plunking down some cash and walking out of there because I had no idea what, you know. Okay, yes, sir. Oh, what a great question. I'm so thankful when you guys ask questions. Um, what is sin? Okay. We have a little problem with uh, technology today, so I'm sorry about that. Um, the Greek word is harmatia. It means to miss the mark, to miss the target. By the way, uh, George Patton, the great general, did you know he was a pentathlete, pentathlon athlete in the 1912 uh, Olympics? And uh, he was such a good shooter that he shot through the holes so that when the judges tallied up how many hits he had, they didn't count the ones that went through each other. And he lost a gold medal because of that. So... No, he went right through the center of the other bullet. Yeah, they, they thought he missed the whole target. But this Greek word, harmatia, means when you shoot and you miss. That's the, the word that's used exclusively, exclusively through the New Testament for sin, harmatia. It means to miss the mark, the standard, the goal, the target. What's the target? God. God is holy. So now, if you really get that, if you really understand that, if you receive that, God is the only entity in the entire cosmos that's absolutely perfect, and we're not, then inevitably humans are going to do what? We're going to miss the mark. All have sinned and fallen short of, what's the standard? The glory of God, the light, the holiness of God. So, does that make sense? Who determines what sin is, is the only one that really can, and that is God. <clears throat> and it, it's determined by what, by what God is, the nature of God. 
How do you say that? Well, you don't need to say it. God will say it for you. <laughs> it's clearly revealed, you know, all the, the nature of God. I mean, one of the things about God is God is light. That means God is just. Therefore, why does the Bible say don't steal? No, no, I'm go- I'm look, look, follow my reasoning. God is holy. God is just. Justice is fairness, equality. So why does God say, don't steal? Yeah, no, but you, you have different, you go over here to this side of the world and they don't think that's, that's a sin. Well, we have two minutes to solve this, so now I want you to find <laughs> Romans chapter two, verses 14 through 15. Seriously, I want you all to look it up. Uh, And I'm going to answer your question, and then I'll try to get to the heart of it. I understand what you're saying, but we need to understand what God is saying also about how God has revealed God to us. 2, 14, and 15. When the Gentiles, the nations, are you with me? When the Gentiles, the nations, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, they demonstrate that the law has been written in their hearts. Their consciences approving or condemning their actions. That's the the core of it. So what has God done for every human in the whole world? God has put the essence of God's holy law in every human heart. On top of that, God has given every human another attribute that's part of human. Conscience. I think my German shepherd has one too. She knows when she's doing wrong. I can tell when she's, the way she looks at me with those. You know, or when I hear something rumbling in the kitchen and I go in there and, uh, uh, the trash can has been slightly disturbed. She gives me that furtive, slinky look as she's <laughs> going out. Okay, all humans have conscience. They're not all perfect. They're not the same. They get conditioned by culture. I'm willing to say all of that. But human beings have within them revelations from God that God uses to speak to them and tell them what? <laughs> Don't do that. That's not right. And simultaneously, Paul says, is that, we're, are, is that like a new thing to say we're done? Well, that was an angel. Oh, that was an angel. <laughs> it also says that your conscience approves or congratulates you when you do the right thing. Has anybody had that experience in the last week? You did something, and inside of you, you had that sense of, that was the right thing to do. Every human in the whole world has that going on inside of them. So whether they have the law, the Torah, the Bible, or not, God hasn't left the human race abandoned. They have revelations, many others that I could talk about as well, but they all bear witness to this notion of the ethical nature of God that's been engraved within us. Okay, so how do we know what sin is? We know it authoritatively from the nature of God. We know it secondarily from the Bible. And we know it thirdly by what goes on in our world and the world itself is telling, we're all telling each other what? Watch the news. What are we all telling each other? I know, but what do we all say to each other as humans? I mean, even on an international basis, what do we constantly say to one another as humans? You're not doing the right thing. You're cheating. You're sinning. You Chinese, you, um, what, what'd they do? Recently? Yes. They hacked into our, uh, uh, into our stuff. Everybody said, what? It's wrong. Um, now that the Western world has um, filled our part of the world with pollution, we now tell China what? You can't do that. You see how humans do this to one another? We do it all the time. What's that based on? 
they're not re- the Chinese and the American leaders aren't reading the Bible. They're not drilling through the Psalms to find some text to send to the Chinese and tell them. They're, they're appealing to what? That sense of right and wrong that appears to exist in every human, even though we don't always listen to it. So does that make sense? Okay. So uh, sin is when we variate from the nature and righteousness of God. Now, Dr. Smith, what? Oh, I said propitiation instead, what sorry. What Expiation, propitiation, it means atonement. It, it's that word at one meant. It means okay. when God offers, uh, um, when God gives us a means, a sacrifice, that covers or takes away the sin and makes us at one with God. So that's what Christ did for us. Now, thank you for asking that because now I want to illustrate to you, and this is where we have to, We have to, to get into this rel- illustration of the nature of light and love. So we've got a God who's perfectly love, and we've got a God who's perfectly just. And I'm going to have my friend April come up here. And uh, I was going to have Judge Milligan do this with me, but he declined because he said, it's bad enough most people think that judges think they're gods anyway, so I'm not going to get up there and act like one. But for the purpose of this illustration, April has now become, she has now become, uh, higher than the judge, God. She has become God for the purpose of our illustration. Uh, yes, of course. Actually, Judge Milligan told me to choose a chica to make that point. All right, so you are the God of absolute light and holiness. Won't mess your hair up too bad. Got it? Now, um, come over here, God, and uh, there is the world. You are a God of absolute holiness and justice. And Judge Milligan, I want you to help because April, you know, is getting thrown into this role and when you look at that world as a God of light, what do you see? Sin. And what must you do as a God of holiness and justice about that? Why don't you just say, ah, whatever. We'll just let it slide. I must find a way to make it righteous. You, you want to find a way to make it righteous. Now, that would be your compassionate part. But as your, oh, as your right. judge part, mm-hmm. as, your, as a judge looks at, Judge Haas and Judge Milligan Helper, when you look at the case, when you look at the facts, when you look at the evidence, as a judge, what's your duty? Guilty. 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 The, the judge can't just say, ah, well... You had a bad day, so we'll let that one go. Or a judge can't do it like the way I play golf, existential golf. If I don't like one shot, I'll hit another one. Make up my own reality. I've shot a lot of subpar rounds that way. But that's not reality. You can't hit a shot and say, well, that, that was, well, let's do another one. Uh, Pronounce that world guilty because you have no other choice. Guilty. Guilty. Now, if God had done that, God is going to do that. But if God had done it and left it there, then what? We would not have survived. So the next time you say, I want justice. Be careful, because what? Because if justice was given the way justice would be mediated by a holy, righteous God to a world as we are, we, we would all be judged guilty, and we would not be able to have fellowship with the God of light. 
Now I want you to change. Now, God is light, but God is also love. love. So now I want you to look at the world through the eyes of love of Christ. And now what? Okay, now, now it's forgiven. You, now you're seeing not just their sin, you're seeing what? Their need, their lostness, and the pity and the compassion and kindness of God is also there with justice. God cannot deny that we are guilty, but at the same time, God's heart says about us what? I love them. I care about them. I don't want to pronounce judgment on them. So now, Dr. Smith, here is atonement, propitiation in a nutshell. So what did God do? It's the most amazing thing in all of the Bible. Take off your robes. She takes off the robe of the judge. There's the sin of the world. Take that. Put that in there. What did she just do? As a righteous judge, she took, she didn't sin. God didn't sin. We sinned. She took our sin, the sin of the whole world, God did, into himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And now you can say what to all these people? <laughs> Isn't this? Yes, thank you. Not just forgiven, but reconciled. One. Thank you very much. Didn't mess your hair up too oh, bad. Um, in the sense of what you're talking about, the final judgment. This is the tension. If you, when you explain it this way, if you can really open your heart to it, this is what makes it so sad to talk about final judgment. Because Paul clearly says in 2 Corinthians 5, God has reconciled the world unto himself. What does that mean, he's reconciled the world to himself? He's, there's no barrier between God and the world any longer. Except when we say, oh, but I never sinned. Or when we reject that. So the set, one of the tragedies of, or the ironies of the Christian message is, God's, God, it's all from God's point of view, it's all good. God's already dealt with our sins. The world has been reconciled to God. God solved the problem in God's own way. He died for our own sins. And now he tells the world, you can come home. So the only thing that's going to block the world from coming back to God is not actually our sins. What is it? Just refusing to come and to say, yes, I need the grace of Christ to forgive me for my sins. That's the only thing that blocks people from coming. Now, do you have any more questions before I take two more minutes? Before, Yes, sir. He has propitiation for our sins. Well, um, I'm not trying to teach universalism, but I am trying to stress that. Now, he's writing to Christians, so he, uh, the doc is mentioning 2-2, uh, two, two, so look at it again, First John 2-2. Two, two. He's the propitiation for our sins. Who's the R there? He's speaking to Christians. Christians are reading it. So he's telling Christians, Jesus is the <clears throat> atoning sacrifice for your sins. That's why you can have a relationship with God, not because you're righteous, but because of what Christ did for you on the cross. And in addition to that, I want you to understand, Christians, that he's the propitiation 
for the whole world. And once Christians begin to look at this, I mean, I'm a pathetic creature. I go into the world. I, I judge people. I look at situations but and, and say in my heart certain things about people. But when I'm at my best in allowing God to control me, I look at worldlings, not yet Christians, and what do I see if I, if I let this reality fill me? What am I looking at? I'm looking at somebody that has already had their sins paid for. In other words, God loves them so much he's already taken care of their sin. The thing is, they don't know that yet. That's the thing, they just don't know that. So why would I want to cop an attitude of superiority at that point? Because if I look at it, I was in that situation at one time too. It changes the entire way that you look at our world. And I, I, don't think it, I don't think he's suggesting that that means everyone's going to be saved. I think he's suggesting that when Christ died on the cross, he dealt with once and for all what needed to be de- dealt with. He dealt with the sins of the world, all of them, for every person that's ever lived for all time. It's amazing. And, but that's the thing. So God's reconciled to us. We now need to do what? Be reconciled to God. How do you become reconciled to God? Everything that John told us, in the light of the fact that God is a holy God, we have to look at ourselves and say, well, I'm, I, I, how can I have a relationship with this God? I'm, I, I, I have failed so much. So God says, okay, I'll take your sin, I'll deal with it in the person of Jesus. I now declare to you that all of your sins are gone. Now come and be reconciled to me. So I want you to see the tension here. Did God stop being just? Well, he just let the whole world get off scot-free, right? That's not just. Many times when uh, people of the world hear the gospel for the first time, they'll say, well, that's not just. How can you can't? Well, yeah, it's not all over, but. Jesus paid the judgment. So God remained just because when he died, what did God do? He executed perfect justice on Jesus. In other words, God executed perfect justice on himself. Is that crazy or what? God judged himself for our sins. And in doing so, remains just when God now turns and says to us, because of this, I now can say to you what? You're forgiven. I dealt with it. We can have a relationship now. I dealt with it. You didn't deal with it. I dealt with it. So God remains just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Is it making sense? Yes, Dan. sympathy to the point of almost acceptance. And there's a problem with sympathy. I got what you said about pity, but I didn't when you said pity and sympathy. I think they're different. And sympathy oftentimes leaves out the justice and judgment that is required, that is implied maybe in pity. I don't think it's there in sympathy. I think it gets, sympathy gets drug into love Okay, that's great, and, and this is what we're going to end on, and I thank you so much for asking that. So this represents God is light, the justice of God. This represents God is love. Mercy, compassion, forgiveness, pity, sympathy, the, the entire, everything that we want. Over here, holiness, justice, righteousness, everything that we want 
when it's in our favor and what we don't want when we deserve it. Right? Now, in God, the balance is perfect. Justice, holiness, love, compassion, perfectly balanced. Now, if this was a scale, Dan, what you just described that we sometimes do is what? Put more weight on which side? And in that way, and if you keep going, you can almost get rid of the notion of the justice of God by virtually not ever talking about it. And all it is, is God is love, and all, you know, God will never judge you, God will never be mad at you, and we say all these things. So much emphasis on the love of God that we eclipse out the holiness of God. Uh, Is it possible for a Christian to do it the other way? Put all the emphasis on the holiness of God, the justice of God, the judgment of God. Is it possible to do that? Fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. So, the beauty of the whole Christian message is, is that in God, it's so perfect. God is so perfect. It's God's love and God's holiness are perfectly balanced and they climax in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. Then God's light and love gets put into us when Christ comes to live inside of us, and then we start trying to live out what in this crazy world? Well, should I be loving to this person, or do they need the hammer of justice? And if you read church history and study the last 2,000 years of the Christian faith, this is it, the struggle perpetually between God is love and God is light and which one's going to prevail. Uh, the Crusaders, the way they resolved it, one of their mantras was, kill them all and let God figure out the righteous from the, the evil. Right? They're evil, they took over the Holy Land, we're going to go there and give them What? I bring this up because a lot of our problems in the world today are, are a result of this. Christians going to the Holy Land and killing Muslims. Talk to Muslims and you'll find this out. For them, that's still a reality. Christians went to the Holy Land and said, we're going to give you justice. And every one of us is struggling, right? If you, if you do this and get rid of justice, do this and get rid of love, if it's mixed, if it's not balanced, how are we going to get out of this dilemma? Yes, sir. You just have to come to Christ by faith and, and you are, you're already reconciled. God's already reconciled you to God. All you have to do is accept Christ's work on the cross on your behalf. And you're justified. God declares you free from sin. <clears throat> but when we leave this room today, now we've got two new realities about God. God is both love and light. And we have to live in a world that's filled with darkness And the question is, is there a formula, a mechanical uh, algorithm that you can carry in your back pocket when you need to make a decision? Does this require justice or love? No. So I leave you with this thought as you think about that, and we'll pick it up next week. Where is Jesus right now? He's here. He's in you. So you have inside of you the very person who already did this. Think about that. You have living inside of you the person who already died on the cross, rose again. Jesus is living inside of you. Jesus is both what? Love and light. And as far as I can see, the only way that we're ever going to have any approximate balance is if we... You know, when we come to Christ initially, we come and say, I got nothing except my sin. And then 
once you experience God's forgiveness, I mean, it's great. But later on in the Christian life, I think we all learn. You come back to God a second time and you say what? I still got nothing. The only thing I have is you living inside of me, and now I want you to live through me. I want your love and your light to be balanced in my life. Do it through me, just like you did when you died on the cross. Now do it again in and through me. I think that's the way we can get home. Okay, last comment. Well, that's why I said I wish there was an algorithm that we could put in a, a computer app, call up the situation, punch, and say, does this require tough love or does this require uh, sympathetic, uh, compassionate uh, uh, justice at this point? What, what, what am I going to do? That's not the way life is. But you have inside of you living who? You have the one who has the balance. And what we now have to learn as Christians is how to allow Jesus and his balanced love and light to be manifested. Yes, Phyllis. Yes. And unfortunately, we ran out of time. I wanted to get to that part, but we didn't. But thanks for bringing that up because it, it lets us leave here today. God is light. Where is Jesus? He's in you. And so as his grace is given to us, we walk in the light, and that light, Phyllis, gets shown into the world, even as it did when he was here the first time. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a great day. Um, when am I coming back? Next week, yeah. <laughs>